So as we begin this morning, uh, everyone raise their hand for me. Everyone. 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 How many people struggle with patience? Okay. Um, thanks. I didn't want to wait for you to get your hands up. So, um, Now, I, I think this is one of those topics, and I was telling Mike and David and Ron this morning, this is one of those I hate talking about um, because I know how much of a struggle it is for me. And as a, a preacher getting up and, and sharing things, there are certain messages that you feel very comfortable sharing, and there are others that make you very uncomfortable sharing. And for me, patience is one of those. Um, so I want you to watch this. You gotta let us play for it. No, 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 no. Come on! Uh, how much for the fluffy unicorn? Oh, <laughs> well, it is not for sale, but all you gotta do to win it is knock down that little spaceship there. <laughs> it's easy! I saw that with my own eyes. Hey, buddy, let me explain something to you. You see that little tin spaceship? You see how it's not knocked over? Do you know what that means, Professor? It means you don't get the unicorn. Oh! Uh-oh, somebody's got a frowny face. Boom. Better luck next time. Okay, my turn. Have you ever had those moments when someone was just pushing you and pushing you and pushing you and you want so badly to respond just like Gru? And unfortunately, we don't have an animated laser gun at times. <laughs> and maybe for our better that we don't have one. But there's a part of you when you do lose your cool at times that kind of, as Gru does, kind of has that little smile, like, that kind of felt good. But there are the other times, though, when you do lose your cool, 
and there is the regret that follows. Like, I can't, I can't believe in that moment that I allowed it to get to me like that, and I responded with anger in the way that I did. But what you have to understand is patience paves the path to the future of the relationship. And so often relationships are broken down because one or the other is not able to show patience in the relationship. They're not able. And so many times, I think, culturally in our world today, we have this idea that um, patience is a passive action. We, we say things like, well, I ordered it online. It'll be here on Monday. And so we have to sit and wait. Or your kids are driving you crazy and constantly yelling, and you, you holler at them and say, just be patient. And what we really mean by that is sit down and be quiet and don't say anything and don't bother me. Or, I'm starving and I need something to eat. Could you hurry up? That's what I tell my wife, right? Not really. She tells me that. <laughs> um, but but we, we have this mindset that patience is passively waiting. We sit and we wait. And one of the problems we have in going back and looking at patience, specifically in the Old Testament, is there's not really a good word for patient or patience in the Old Testament. But most of you are thinking, well, well patience is something we hear describing God a lot. But the word patient or patient only occurs 13 times in the Old Testament. Only one time does it actually refer to the character of God. And most of the time it refers to us, and it's used in the wisdom tradition. But in Hebrew, you have to understand also that it's not necessarily about words. A lot of times it's more about concepts. And this idea of patience is articulated best as a concept. And there's a phrase that occurs over 80 times in the Old Testament, and it's this, vikar apo. And it means literally, if they were to translate it literally, his nose became hot. Right? You've seen that a lot. But how it's typically translated almost every single time is God is slow to anger. And that's where we get this concept in the Hebrew way of thinking of patience. That God is patient. Why is God patient? Because He is slow to anger. And, and you're probably looking at the screen saying, His nose became hot. I haven't heard that one before. But here's, here's the thing. It's a metaphor. And so many times, metaphors get lost in translation. For instance, if we were to find someone who is 2,000 years old, um, just hypothetically, you know, um, find someone who is 2,000 years old and lived in a different continent at a different time and see a woman walking by and we were to say, hey, man, she's a fox, they would probably look at you like, Now, in our culture, we would probably know what that person was referring to. But metaphors get lost in translation. So then the question becomes, if, if this idea of God being slow to anger is this concept of patience, what does patience truly look like? And I think I could best describe patience specifically as it describes God or what it looks like for God by telling you a story. 
So God creates this world, and he puts man and woman in the middle of this garden, and it's good, and he has a relationship with them. And man and woman choose to go their own separate way, and it breaks down this relationship. And things continue to escalate until we get to this place called Babel, where people are building this tower, and they say, we want to make a name for ourselves. We want to separate ourselves from everyone else. It's the culmination of this journey, where in the garden there is this oneness, to this point at Babel where they're trying to make a name for themselves, not to be one, but to separate themselves from everyone else so that we're special. And God begins this movement with a guy named Abraham. And he calls Abraham and he says, I want you to go to these nations, to these people that are trying to make a name for themselves, and I want you to go and be a blessing to them. I want you to share life with them. I want you to help them. And Abraham eventually has this great grandson. His name is Joseph, and he's one of 12 brothers. And he begins um, as a slave almost, as a prisoner, and he escalates and he climbs this ladder basically in Egypt, and he becomes the second in command. And following Joseph's life, the people find themselves as slaves in Egypt, and they're really dealing with the results, the consequences of the sin from the garden, of people moving in their own separate way, in their own separate direction, breaking down this oneness and really becoming others. And God hears their cry, these oppressed people who have really put themselves in this situation who God could literally sit back and just say, well, it's, it's your fault. You, you did this to yourself. But God hears their cry, and he says he comes down to rescue them. And there's this culmination of this journey out of Egypt as God divides the waters of the Red Sea, and he leads Israel through to the Promised Land. But yet on the other side, they don't find the Promised Land like they thought they would. They find desert. And they sing this song, Moses and Miriam. They sing this song of celebration of how good God is and how God has taken care of them and provided for them and led them out of Egypt. And almost as soon as the chorus stops, the complaining begins. God, why did you lead us out of Egypt just to let us die in the desert? God, where is something to drink? God, where is something to eat? And you think as you hear this story unfolding, like at some point God has to lose his patience with these people. They're ungrateful. They continue to do whatever they want despite of God stepping in and saving the day and helping them and leading them and feeding them and encouraging them. They continue to do their own thing. And yet God is patient. And God decides, I want to form these people into that nation I, I told Abraham about. That nation that was going to be a blessing. And so he brings Moses to this place called Mount Sinai along with all of the other people. And he goes up on the mountain with Moses. 
and he begins to talk about how they are to live their lives together as community. How they're to relate to him and how they're to relate to one another. That if this community is going to work, here are the guidelines, here are the rules that you need to live by. And so Moses is up on the mountain. And the people are down at the foot of the mountain. And just before Moses goes up on the mountain, he grabs Aaron and he says, you're going to be in charge of these people. And as Moses is gone, the people become impatient. They're tired of waiting and they start to question, well, where, where is Moses? He, he was here with us. And he was representing God to us. And he's not coming back. And the people become fearful because the people understand that Moses is their representative of God. Moses represents God to the people. And I think there are some powerful, powerful leadership lessons that come out of this. And most of the time when I talk about leadership, a lot of people say, well, I'm not a leader, and they just turn off. But I love the way John Maxwell says it, leadership is influence. And if you have influence over another person, you are a leader. And as a follower of Jesus, you represent God to the people that you lead. And so Moses and the people are here, and God is not. In their mind, God is not here. Why is God not here in their mind? Because their leader, who represents him to the people, is not here. Which means that's a huge weight that the leader bears. Moses is not there. And that's their understanding of God. Moses is not in the place that the people are. And they still relate God to their leader. And the leader who is there and is present starts to talk to the people. And the people say, well, Moses is gone. We need a God. And so he says, well, give me your jewelry. And he puts it in a fire and they pull it out and they make it into the shape of this calf, this golden calf. And the people worship and they, they're dancing and they're singing. And Moses says, okay, tomorrow we're going we're gonna to go back and we're going to have a festival to God. We're going to worship God. And so they do. They wake up the next morning and they, they worship God and they're so thankful to the Lord. But after that, they get up and they continue to worship this calf. And God with Moses says, you need to go back down because your people, and I love this, God points at Moses. He said, your people have messed this up. Parents, you understand this, right? Your husband comes home from work. Well, you, know, you will not believe what your son did. You will not believe what your daughter. So, so God talks, your people have lost all control. And Moses goes back down. And he's so angry, he throws these tablets, the Ten Commandments on the ground, breaking them. 
because he's angry. But then I think Moses shows in this moment this true leadership. He says, but Moses sought the favor, chapter 32, verse 11, sought the favor of the Lord his God. The Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people? The second they start to act up, Moses wants to give them back to God. Why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt with power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And I will give your descendants all this land, I promise them. And it will be their inheritance forever. And then the Lord relented and did not bring on His people the disaster He had threatened. So He goes before God. And he begs God to be patient. God, be slow to anger. Don't give us what we deserve. And then Moses goes to confront Aaron. And I love this verse. He, says, he said to Aaron, What did these people do to you that you would lead them into such great sin? What did Aaron do? Well, ask Aaron what he did. We didn't do anything. We got this jewelry. We threw it in the fire. And out popped this calf. Just happened. But Moses, he goes to the leader. And he said, what did they do that you would lead them into such great The Aaron didn't do anything. And that's the problem. As the leader, he had a responsibility to represent God to the people. And I think what we learn in the story is both in his presence and in his absence, Moses represents God to the people. When he is there, that's how they see God. And when he is not there, that is how they see God. Moses represents God to the people as the leader. But I think what we learn in this story, particularly about patience, is patience is an active pursuit. Culturally, as we said, we think about patience as waiting. Sitting, waiting for something to happen that is outside of our control, that we can't influence and we can't do anything about. It's passive. But patience, particularly when we're talking about the character of God, patience is an active pursuit. And you see this as God actively pursues His people. As they make choice after choice to do their own thing. 
to go their own direction, to take God's good creation in a direction that it was never intended to go. He shows patience by pursuing them. Ultimately, in the presence of Jesus, God becoming man in the flesh to pursue man. Coming down and saying, here is what it looks like to live. Here is what it looks like to love, to show grace, to show mercy. And that's the concept that we come away with from the Old Testament of this God who is patient. And in the New Testament, it kind of goes in two separate ways. This idea of long-suffering. Someone who is facing persecution and trials and hardship is long-suffering. But then forbearance is this idea of being patient with people. This idea, this concept that you see in the Hebrew Scripture when it describes God. Bearing with one another. Paul talks about a lot. Loving, forgiving one another just as Christ forgave you. And the whole goal of Galatians is these fruits of the Spirit are being poured out into our life as followers of Jesus is that Christ's likeness grows up in us so that Christ's likeness would flow out of us. That we're being transformed and changed into the image of God from the inside out. That we're not these Christmas trees that we talked about in week one where we're just decorating and putting on ornaments and making sure they look pretty. But we're these plants that are planted deep in the soil that are growing up and they're going to produce fruit year after year. And it's a much slower process for them to start looking beautiful. It doesn't happen overnight. And you can put your Christmas tree up in an hour or two. And you can decorate it and make it look gorgeous. But the seed that you plant in good soil and you water and expose it to the sun, it takes time to grow up. And I think so many times when we talk about patience, it's this idea, well, we just need to be more patient. I'm going to try really hard with my kids to be more patient. I'm going to be really more patient at work. I'm going to try to be more patient in all the other aspects and areas of my life. But this patience that we're talking about does not come easy. It's not natural to us. I think it's something that the Spirit of God produces within us. And it has to begin from the inside out. God is making His character become part of our character. And this idea of patience is an act of pursuit. It brings the question to mind, but what can the people do? These people waiting for God to show up. Waiting for their leader to come back. They, they just have to sit and wait, right? Like Moses is up on the mountain. We're just going to be here. And we're going to try not to lose focus. But what can they do? They can pray. They can seek God with all of their heart and soul and mind and strength. They can encourage one another and lift each other up. They can share in communion 
with one another, this deep abiding fellowship that we, we belong together. That's what this idea of communion really is about, that we share this life together. Like just as we share this body that we took just a few minutes ago, we share this life because of that body. And as God's people, we're sharing this together. We're, we're actively pursuing. But what happens when patience becomes this passive activity, this waiting, we lose focus in God because our focus is everywhere else but on Him. We lose sight because we're, we're waiting and we're waiting. We're looking into the future and we're not living in the present. We spend so much of our time living in the past and living in the future and missing what's going on right in front of us in the present. And let me just tell you about joy we talked about a few weeks ago. You cannot experience joy. You cannot experience peace in the past. You, you can't experience joy and, and peace in the future. You experience them in the present. And you have to learn to be able to live in the present moment. And not constantly be looking forward to what is going to happen. And not constantly looking back to what did happen. Because I know a couple of things. One, one is about the, the past. You cannot change it. No, no matter what, it is the past. You can't take back what you said. You can't hit rewind. You can't do it again. And the other thing I know is about the future. You cannot change it. You can influence it, you can impact it, you cannot change it before it happens. And ultimately, as much as we like to think we have control over our future, there are moments that remind us constantly that you have no control over it. Because so many of you have gotten the diagnosis, you've gotten the phone call, You've been in the accident, you've lost the job, and everything that you were certain of, that you had control over, was taken away. And you were left wondering, well, how do I continue to move forward? How, how do I continue to move forward when everything that I was certain of is now an uncertainty? Everything I was sure of. So when patience becomes a passive waiting, we lose focus of our pursuit of God. But Moses and God go back up to the mountain where he encounters God. And God shows himself to Moses. And it says, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him, and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love, loving, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. This idea is slow to anger how God describes Himself. I think Isaiah picks up on this idea of patience 
is really bearing through difficulties and hard times and pain for the benefit of other people. This idea of long-suffering. In Isaiah 53, he says, Surely He took up our pain and bore our suffering, and yet we considered Him punished by God, stricken by Him, and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His wounds, we are healed. So so how does that show patience? This, This next verse, I think, says it all. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. God's ultimate patience. It's difficult. It demands strength and stamina. And it depends on exercising our control over our reactions. It's so unnatural, and it requires the Spirit of God. Jesus deals with this idea of patience. And He tells this parable of a master. And a servant comes to Him, and He owes him this incredibly um, unbelievable amount of money. I think it says 10,000 talents. It's years and years and years and years of day's wage. Something beyond anything you could imagine. I mean, it would be someone coming to you and saying, hey, you owe me a couple, couple million dollars. A couple billion dollars. This and so the master looks. And here's how he says it. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. And I will pay back everything. Which, if you understand the amount of money they're talking, this is an incredible impossibility. No possible way could he ever repay. And the servant's master took pity on him, and he canceled the debt and let him go. And what what I see in that story is you have this servant who cannot pay back the debt, begging for patience from the master. And he begs for patience from the master, but what the master gives him instead is grace and mercy. He gives him patience, but it's in the form of mercy and grace. It's what he doesn't deserve. It's what he cannot pay back. And then he tells the next part of the story where the same one who was forgiven this debt goes out and he finds this other servant, his friend. And he says, you must pay me back and I'm not going to show mercy and grace. And the master becomes so angry. And he says, I gave you mercy and grace. I was patient with you. And you couldn't be with your servant, your fellow servant. And of course, we, we understand this parable. Because this is the parable of our life. Where God graciously gave and gave and gave beyond everything we could ever imagine, everything we could possibly want or ask. Forgave. Freely. Fully. 
And said the debt, the sin, it's canceled. Because what you, what I, what we did, what we were a part of, was all placed upon Jesus. And you truly see patience on the cross. Probably not a place that we typically think to look for patience. But I think the cross is the ultimate example of patience with people. And this God who is actively pursuing His creation. See, patience pushes us. It pushes us toward the present. And it encourages us in a culture that says live in the, the future, live in the past, don't worry about what's going on right now, plan for your future. Patience pushes you toward the present. Being present here and now with people. Patience t- pushes us towards people. Especially the difficult ones. And, and I know for most of you, you've heard this phrase before. I, we'll, we'll say, well, we want to be more patient. And someone will say, oh, no, 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 no. Don't pray for patience. Anyone ever told you that? Don't, don't pray for patience. Because God's going to put you through something. Where but here, here's the question. How badly do you want to be like Jesus? Do you want to be like Jesus enough that you're willing to allow God to pull you out of your nice, comfortable life and put you in a place where you are forced to be patient? Because sometimes, if I'm really honest, I think I would rather be comfortable than really be like Jesus. Because I think if I really wanted to be like Jesus more than anything else in this world, I wouldn't be afraid to pray that prayer. If you really want to be like Jesus, then maybe this is a prayer that all of us need to be praying every single day. God, today, Make me more patient. And you know with that, what comes along with that. But if God is going to form you into Christ-likeness, it does require you stepping outside of yourself and your comfortable life and allowing Him to form and change who you are. And the last thing, patience pushes us toward God. It pushes us towards the present. It pushes us towards people. But I think most importantly, it pushes us towards God. Because it's in those moments when we are tried, when we are hurting, when life is hard, 
when we want to give up, when we're forced to be patient, it's in those moments more than any other that we lean on God. That we truly understand and feel the sense of abiding in Him. And what it means when, when our control is gone, because we know that we have to have Him. Because most of the time, if we're really honest, it feels like we can kind of do this on our own. Like we can make it. We can figure it out. We're smart enough. We're strong enough. We can do this. But it's in those moments when we're forced to wait. Not passively, but actively. We find ourselves leaning and relying on God like never before. Father, today, we pray. And Father, and it's a scary prayer for us. Make us more patient. Father, grow us more into the image, into the image, into the likeness of Jesus, Your Son. Father, we want to be like Him. Because we believe You are serving this world through us, Your people. And as leaders, we represent You to the people we serve, the people we lead, the people we share our lives with, the people we live next door to, the people who share a cubicle next to us. Father, we represent You to them. Both in our presence and the way we respond and in our absence. Father, may You push us toward present. Being present with people. Being present in our lives. Being present in our marriages. Being present with our children. Being present with our co-workers. May You push us towards people. Those who are difficult and try us, those who make it difficult to love them, those we feel like cause us pain. May You push us towards them and help us to love them as You loved us. And Father, may You push us towards Your presence. Father, may we abide deeply in Jesus and may we find life God, we're grateful for all that you do. Make us more present. Make us more patient today. In Jesus' name, amen.